This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We are less than a week from opening day. By the time you guys start hearing this on Monday morning, we will be a mere, what, three days and change. It, weather permitting, though, because apparently it's not looking so great for the Bronx, but maybe it'll it'll clear up by the afternoon. That's the latest. But we're doing another kind of random show tonight. Uh, it's called Over or Under. So we've got 10 scenarios. Charlie Smith and I are going to take turns reading them, and then uh, Joe Goddard will join in, and we'll... Uh, We'll say whether we think the scenario will be under or over, or over or under. <laughs> there you go. So, how are you guys? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to next week already. I'm counting the days here. I've got tickets to go see Nationals at Mets on Friday for opening day. And then I'm getting on a bus and I'm going up to New York to go see the Sox beat the Yankees. On Saturday, and then back here on Sunday for another Nationals game. So it could be a lot worse. How about yourself? <laughs> well, I'm I'm selfishly hoping for a little bit of rain. That way it'll be a primetime game on Thursday. But weather is looking good for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So worst case, it just gets moved to a good weather day. And then you got three guaranteed good days of baseball. So, Charlie, how are you? I'm doing well. It feels like just yesterday since all of us uh, had our our first official real taste of baseball fantasy a couple days ago. Uh, was it yesterday? Jeez, it was yesterday. Jesus. Um, just uh, you know, looking forward to um, a great season for a multitude of reasons. I'm a little envious, a little jealous of Job getting to see some some baseball this early in the season. But uh, hopefully, whatever happens in that game is a lot better than the last game that Job and I saw. <laughs> that's true for those of you who don't know we were at that astros game six at fenway T- tough way to go out wait wait it wasn't it was game six last... it was uh was it game wasn't five? It game five i think it was five. game five whatever the last game is yeah. that the red sox played last year uh, and thank god for the lockout ending because it would have been the last game for a long time uh, but hopefully it goes well I'm, I'm looking to try to get 40 games in this year charlie that's my goal. At Fenway? Um, 40. Variety of different teams. Uh, oh, I'd like to get 10 gotcha. games at Fenway would be ideal, but I'll probably only get six. Uh, well, save so some for October, hopefully. Real. Even I'll though get the struggle is real. Well, I hope we're wrong, Terry, in our prediction <laughs> show and that the Red Sox beat Yeah, I know. Well, we well, must don't have them in, in the playoffs, as far as I'm aware. We are the early week uh, f- hosts for the, the Sunday show or Monday show if it's four-game series. And we we were the three who didn't have the Red Sox or the Yankees making the playoffs. So 
we're hoping to eat a ton of crow uh, by the time October comes because we ended up winning 98 or something ridiculous. But uh, we'll see. We got to keep it real, though, which is what we do on this podcast. So let's go ahead and get into our first scenario here. I'm calling it a scenario. And it's the one I gave on social media, actually. So here we go. Bobby Dahlbeck will hit 31 and a half home runs. Job, over or under? Under, but this comes with a caveat. I don't think there's a high chance that Bobby Dolbeck is our everyday first baseman. I think there's a decent chance we see Tristan Casas in a platoon situation sooner rather than later. And in that case, there won't be enough games for Tristan, Tristan Casas takes over for Dolbeck to hit that threshold. If he gets traded, he might hit 31 and a half home runs. But right now I would say 22 to 25 home runs is my prediction for Bobby Dolbeck. I'm actually also, uh, I agree. I agree with Job. I'm also taking the under here. I think at best, regardless of any, uh, you know, sunsetting experience that Bobby Dahlbeck will get as a member of the Red Sox or what have you, uh, I think the most that he ends up getting is 30. Last year he had 25 um, and started to heat up. I mean, Tara and I were talking about this yesterday. He started heating up towards the second half of the season and started doing some really great work. But Who's to say that that's going to be able to carry over because the the strikeouts were still a really big problem. He struck out 34.4% of the time, and he's going to really need to um, mash against lefties similar to like uh, similar to last year because uh, if he's facing righties on a regular basis, it's um, it's not going to be pretty. But uh, I actually I actually haven't pegged for more than 25 under 31, and I think barring any crazy miracles, I'm actually thinking he's going to crack 30. And that's uh, with a little bit of a gift and a little hot month that I expect him to get. I am going to take the over on that. And he had a very good second half. I couldn't find his um, September numbers, but he hit 339 in the month of August. That's kind of where the turning point started to happen. Hit seven dingers, continued to... um, have a similar pace throughout September, but kind of lost his spot in the playoffs because they had to do something with Kyle Schwarber, which was their big uh, acquisition at the trade deadline and, you know, a world series hero before that. So he was going to get the spot over Bobby. And I disagree a little bit, Joe, because if Casas gets called up, I fully expect Dahlbeck to get some time in the outfield. I don't know if he's had some reps in spring training, but that, Alex Cora did say they would try to work him in. So I think his he'll get a healthy number of at-bats. And uh, I know Charlie's going to chime in here. Um, just real quick, his spring training numbers. In 29 at-bats, he has 10 hits. And he's only struck out five times in 29 at-bats. So I think the upward trend is going to continue for Mr. Dahlbeck. Go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, so so uh, July last year was uh, abysmal. It was uh, terrible, awful. And uh, towards the end of July, he started to get warm. August hit three thirty nine with seven homers, twenty one RBIs. Uh, in September, also did fantastic. Uh, six homers, sixteen RBIs. Started to cool off towards the, um, you know, the it getting a little cold. Uh, September, and o- late September and October were not good for him because uh, after the twenty fifth of September, one hit. 
So we really need to see that number kind of stay where it was for August and in July, because if that happens, Bobby Dahlbeck's going to be a star. And I'm curious to see how Dahlbeck ends up fitting, because if he finds his way into the outfield, that might mean a, a little shift for some foreshadowing questions coming forward. Absolutely. I'd uh, love to see it. I, yeah. I, I'd like to see Christian Arroyo in the outfield a little bit as well. But go ahead, Charlie. Yep. So, yeah, second question. Garrett Whitlock will make nine and a half starts over or under? Under, and I don't think it's close. I think he might make four, maybe five starts. He's going to pitch behind Rich Hill and probably also one other day every every turn through the rotation. He'll be used for two to four innings two days a week. He's too valuable in that role. I just don't see him making 10 starts. Oh, I'm up. So I'm also going to take the under. In order for him to exceed nine and a half starts, a bunch of things would have to happen. He'd have to establish himself as a viable starter before Chris Sale and before James Paxton come back. Because once they come back, they're getting rotation spots, and that's going to be probably at some point in June. Paxton's a little bit ahead of schedule, and uh, Chris Sale could be back perhaps in, in May at some point, maybe the latter half of May. But Michael Walker would have to flame out Perhaps Tanner Houck just struggles to get through the order a couple of times and, and goes in. So a lot has to happen for Whitlock to get into that rotation and establish himself as a viable starter. I'm super curious to know if he can do it, but I just don't think he he fits in with all the other pieces, unfortunately. Injuries would have to happen or just lousy performances to justify a start. But if he if he were to go three electric starts in a row, look out because maybe maybe they might try to find a way to to keep him in. But for now, taking the under. I have to agree with both of you guys. Uh, you guys hit the the two most important parts um, on it, and one of them being injuries. Uh, I'm taking the under on this one. I don't think it's close either. I really don't. Um, his position is incredibly valuable because if you were to remove him from that bullpen who takes his spot and i think that's something else to to deeply consider we don't know what michael walk is going to look like we don't know what rich hill is going to look like but when chris sale does come back he will immediately assume one of those roles i still don't think that garrett woodlock can be expendable from the bullpen and we we don't have a lockdown bullpen right now we don't have arms that we can depend on on a consistent basis and adding into the rotation would significantly deplete that bullpen and i don't think it's close so neither of you think it's close. What if I were to move the over-under down from nine and a half to, say, six and a half? Still under. I'd probably still take the under at so that am point. I. Yeah. Yep. I think I, there's a chance he probably makes three to four starts. Yeah, I, I was the one who That's came desperation. up with, with that scenario, so I probably should have set it a little lower. But the, the path to him staying in that rotation is is very tricky. Well, all right, let's go with the third one now. All right, so Christian Arroyo will appear in 72 and a half games. Now, I say appear because he might not necessarily start. So go ahead, Job. Over or under 72 and a half? Under. 
and uh, I think it's closer to probably 60, uh, maybe 65 games. There's just too much depth uh, in the infield now for him to find meaningful starts. I know they're going 13 position players and 15 arms in order to start the season. Yeah. So maybe he slots in early a couple of extra times early in the season, especially while Trevor Story ramps up here. But between DL stints and the fact that Trevor Story and Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers are going to be playing every day, I just don't know where those at-bats are going to come. It sounds like uh, possibly the outfield as well for him. He, and he has been getting starts in right field. But I, I don't disagree with the fact yeah. that he you know, could get some outfield starts. I just don't think that he necessarily is going to play that many games. He's a great utility piece. He is Pokey Reese, but he's not going to be a significant enough contributor to the 2022 Red Sox. Go ahead, Charlie. I, I actually, I'm taking the over. I think he's actually going to play over 73 games, and I don't think it's going to be, if you'd said over under 81, I probably would have said under. But I think he's going to appear in over 72 games. I really do. And I think part of it is we've already seen what Xander Bogarts gets when he gets like a day off after, you know, he doesn't play the game after an off day. Those games, I think you're going to see somebody like Christian Arroyo sliding into second base and have Trevor Story play short. And like Terry already mentioned, he's getting starts in the outfield. He's that guy that has said, I don't care where you put me. I'll play wherever. And that was the right thing to say he will do whatever it takes to be on the team i also don't think he's going to risk any injuries this year um he still has arb two and arb three he's not a free agent until 2025 he's only making 1.2 million this year i think he can make that worth 1.2 million i think the red sox will get well past 1.2 do i think he's going to hit 100 games no but i think the red sox are going to make it uh they're going to find a way to put him into that lineup. They're going to find a way to put him into a game. That's my little take on that. T? I'm going to take the over. And again, this is appearing in games, not necessarily starting, because he proved his role. He proved himself in one role last year, and that was pinch hitting. He had a couple electric home runs late in the game, I don't think Bradley's going to be coming up to the plate in a tough spot if Arroyo's available off the bench to pinch hit. So I think he's going to be getting into games 72 and a half. It is a relatively high number, but I am taking the over. The most he's ever played was actually 2021. As frustrating as that season was, that was 57 uh, games. So his next closest was 34 games, his rookie season in 2017. So I would love to see him in that many games. I, I really would. I just think Alex core is going to get very creative on, on how he utilizes him. And I hope you're right. And I'm wrong. I just look at it and say, there's no chance that he's going to get as many pinch hit opportunities when it means taking Jackie Bradley jr's glove out of the lineup. It's the entire reason that he's here. It's the only asset that he brings to the table. And I, Admittedly, I'm I am the president of the Jackie Bradley Jr. back to Milwaukee fan club. But I think if you're gonna have him on the roster, he needs to be in right field. You can't really hide Arroyo 
in the outfield. Fenway just doesn't have a small right field. Verdugo, maybe you give Verdugo a day off here or there at left, uh, but he's shown he's much more comfortable in left than he is in right. And we know Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to play, unfortunately, north of 100 games. Unfortunately, is correct because there's not a ton of lefties in the division to to keep him out of the lineup. But we'll see if he gets caught. He's had a hot spring training, too. I mean, he's hit four or five bombs so far, including two in the last two days. So we'll see what happens. I just I just can't wait for this. I can't believe we're reliving this Jackie Bradley nightmare again. Just unbelievable. It's here, guys. All right, that brings us to question number four. Rafael Devers will hit 41 and a half doubles over, under. Over, and it won't be close. Uh, <laughs> admittedly, I have Rafael Devers in, in the MVP conversation for this year. I bet on him to finish first at plus 1,800. For those of you who enjoy the Vegas aspect of sports, I also have him in the top three finish at plus 800. Uh, I think there's a decent chance that he emerges as a great fielder as well as an offensive talent this year, especially in spring training. He's been flashing some leather. So I really think that this is the year that Rafi Devers really breaks out. I have him going 45 doubles, 38 home runs, and 125 RBIs. I'm taking the over as well. He only hit 37 in 2021, but uh, and that might have been due in part to the fact that his strikeout number was higher at 143 strikeouts. Previously, his high in strikeouts was 119. Uh, no, excuse me, 121 in 2018. So he kind of he kind of traded, you know, some some raw power hitting um, for, you know, versus more of the contact hitting that we saw a couple of years ago when he led the league uh, with 54. So I think the strikeouts will come down this year. The doubles will go back up, especially if he's hitting second in the order. I hate him hitting second in the order. I feel like he's a bona fide three or four hitter, and hopefully that's where he ultimately does end up. But his approach is going to have to be different from 2021 if he's batting out of the two hole. So I expect more doubles to come up and I don't know if he's as frustrated as we are with the lack of extension talks, but maybe this is a statement year. So we'll see. He was 11th uh, though in, in the MVP voting last year with, with only 37 doubles. So, so you could be right. If he, if he breaks, if he, takes the over here. If he goes over our threshold, you're probably looking at at least a top 10. But Yeah. So I'm also taking the over on this one. I also don't think it's going to be close. I think that he can hit 40 doubles. He's already proven that he can hit 50 at 54 a couple of years ago. And I think that Rafael Devers is a 40, 40 candidate. I think this is someone that can hit 40 doubles and 40 homers in the same season. That's how much faith I have in this kid and his talent, his ability. He's the face of this team. Whether Xander likes it or not, it is what it is. This man needs to be re-signed. Under no circumstances can we let this man walk. I drafted him in fantasy baseball. There's no way I'm letting this man walk onto another team. This guy's an absolute star. 
and he's absolutely going to mash more than 42. All right. I think we need to move the benchmarks a little bit next time we do this show. We're all in agreement on most of these. We could, yeah. All right, so we actually kind of touched on this one already, so I guess we won't spend a bunch of time, um, but for the heck of it, uh, Jackie Bradley will start in 89.5 games, and that's start, not appear. So go ahead, Job. I think you already touched on it. Sadly over. I think he probably appears in 95 games uh, as a starter, and then another 10 to 15 games as a defensive replacement. I actually love Jackie Bradley Jr. as a defensive replacement. If we had one more solid everyday outfielder, I would love Jackie Bradley Jr. on this team to play the eighth and ninth innings every night. But I don't want to see him hit more than once a game. So, unfortunately, I think over. Yeah, I mean, I was torn on this one. Um, but I think what I want to happen and what will happen are two completely different things. He's going to play over 89 games as a starter, uh, as a member of the Red Sox. And part of that reason is because of the guy who is managing that club. Alex Cora has a certain fondness to some of his former players. And I think that is going to carry a lot of weight with Alex, uh, with um, Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, he is one of the only guys that if they're like, oh, he's playing right field, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You can handle the abyss out in right field at Fenway Park. Good luck with that. And he doesn't even need any luck. Um, statistically speaking, he's done better against righties than lefties. So I hope that also plays to his favor too. That was one thing I was definitely taking a look at. Um, but we think about the past with with Alex Cora bringing on some of these yesteryear players like the Marwin Gonzalez's who had no business playing in Boston. And Alex wanted him there and he was there. And Jackie Bradley Jr. is someone that has already an established relationship with Alex Cora. I think he's going to get it over. It's close, but you know what? I'm going to take the under because once Tristan Casas comes up, you're going to have to find something to do with Bobby. You're probably going to keep Christian Arroyo no matter what on your bench because he's so valuable. I mean, he can play middle infield, perhaps corner outfield. I think there's a decent chance Jackie Bradley will be DFA'd at some point uh, this season by the Boston Red Sox. So, I'll take the under. DFA. Right. Terry, is it Christmas? Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness! I I, I heard that, and I, I'm sorry to jump the gun, Charlie. I know you had something to say, but I heard DFA, and my face lit up. And there's fans out there right now who are thinking, "You just take the Red Sox." There's listeners who are like, "You need to stop talking baseball." Jackie Bradley Jr. saves X amount of runs defensively. I get it. He's a great defender. He strikes out 200 times a year. I don't want that in the lineup every day. And he has a weird split where he actually hits lefty starters better than righty starters, just barely. And the numbers aren't good anyway. So, like, you can't even justify him against right-handed hitting. He's that bad. I thought when I was looking at his numbers, he did actually do better against righties and lefties. But maybe I was wrong. I, he does um, if you combine the relievers, but when you're when you're looking at starters specifically, he he's a few okay. points higher with left-handed starters. Okay, cool. All right, 
Valid. Um, our, our next talking point here is uh, Alex Cora will be ejected in two and a half games over under. I hope it's over. I, I really love seeing the competitive fire, but I think there's multiple things that are going to play into this that he doesn't get ejected in more than two games. Firstly, I think they're now announcing replay review, which will take, I think, a lot of steam off of managers. I think managers a lot of the times get fired up. They challenge something. The challenge doesn't go their way, and then the next call that doesn't go their way, they blow up. Now that umpires are going to be announcing to the fans and and to the coaches why the replay decision is what it is, will cool guys off a little bit. And the other piece of it is I really think that now that Joe West is gone, it's pretty much just Angel Hernandez. Some of these younger umpires have been really, really good calling balls and strikes. Uh, Ump scorecards on Twitter is someone everyone should follow if they're interested in that. We'll show you every single call that's made and missed, what the accuracy is, and what the biggest changes are to runs per team uh, every game. So somebody you can really look at. And these umpires are just getting better. So I I think under for sure. You make a good point, Job. I was going to take the under myself because I think Alex Cora, I think he's soft in some ways he just doesn't have that that fire that like a joe girardi would have and just go after an umpire uh, or, or even francona and Farrell. i mean they got ejected more than that and you just don't really see it with uh, alex cora and if you remember the the wrist tap thing with erod in the alcs against the the astros he he got an erod's face because he he just he didn't appreciate Erod egging on the a possible confrontation, which I'm I'm pro Erod in that case. I I like seeing my players. I love the the showmanship and the gamesmanship in, in that regard, especially when you're you're shutting them down like he was that night. And I just I I really don't like that about Alex Corey. He doesn't let the boys be boys, so to speak. But with the instant replay. I think that could potentially go the opposite way because now once fans are, especially the hometown fans are seeing a call go against them and they're going to hear it right from the umpire's mouth over the loudspeakers. I think the booing could, could result in, in Corey perhaps getting a little bit more amped up because he's going to feel like, you know, he needs to, he needs to kind of take a stand. So I, I'll still officially take the under here, but I wouldn't be surprised if that new element leads to it going over. Charlie? I, I I don't remember him ever getting tossed more than twice in a season, and I don't know if this is going to be the year where he actually blows his fuse. Granted, we do have a little bit of new blood. For the most part, the team is still the same. And really, I mean, you got Trevor Story, but you also got Jackie Bradley Jr. back. So it's 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 really kind of the same team. There wasn't too many major shakeups. Um, had there been a major shakeup, maybe that would have fired him up. But I'd love to be wrong. I want to be wrong. I really want to see that fire once every forty games. I would love to see you know you get your you know take an early shower. But I don't know if it's going to happen. I just don't. And I don't know if it's so much like that lack of fire. He gets fired up over different things. Like he knows. 
not to try to egg on too many umpires. He knows when he needs to get fired up, but I was with you. Like I understood why he did what he did. Like that was um that was with uh Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa was gesturing to like the watch and then Erod did the same thing back to him and that's what caused the the fracas. And I remember he stood up right at the top of the of the dugout and going, "Hey, hey, hey. No. No. No, we're not doing that. No, what are you doing?" And he got really amped up and I was like, okay, I get it from a manager standpoint, but I know that if I was one of those two people, I would have absolutely done what Erod did. I would be like, hey, dummy, yeah, I got you. I got your number. So um, on the record, I will say under, but man, I hope I'm wrong. I I hate that about Alex Cora, but oh well. All right, next one. Nathan Avaldi will be the only starter with 12 Point five wins or more over or under Joe. No, I think there's probably at least one other starter who's going to get to 13 wins. Hopefully it's Chris sale. I think there's a decent chance it's Nick Pavetta, but you are going to see somewhat of a different approach. I think from this Red Sox organization this year than last year in that some of these guys are, going to get ridden they're going to have to ride their starters more so because their bullpen is not good enough to pitch four innings a night every night all summer i think you're going to see avaldi pitch six innings every single time he goes through like usual but i think you might see the same from pavetta uh rich hill we already touched on a little bit uh but i think michael walker has a decent chance to win 11 or 12 games and chris sale depending on when he comes back and if he's healthy might top the 12 games as well. Are you sure you weren't the one who picked 94 wins? I am, you know, I, <laughs> I think wins for pitchers, you know, obviously overrated, but I think if they are going to win any games this season, uh, it's, it's not going to be late inning comebacks and, and magic. They're going to destroy opponents and they're going to lean on starting pitching um, they won't win a lot of close games. I don't think their bullpen's not good enough to do that. So if I'm not mistaken, this is the fourth and final year of native all these four years, 68 million dollar deal. Correct. I absolutely think he's going to be the only starter that gets over 12 wins. And this is why we still don't know when Chris sales coming back. I think Michael Walker winning 12 games this year is adorable. I don't see that happening at all. I really don't. I think Nate Evaldi is the backbone of this rotation because he's the only one that can stay healthy consistently. That's it. Um, if there's a pitcher that I want to put the ball in their hand, it's Nate Evaldi. And I think Nate Evaldi is going to have his best statistical season, and I think that he could eclipse his 14 wins that, the, that he had with the New York Yankees six, seven years ago. That was his, his best career season as far as wins. And we're like, wow, Evaldi can do it. And since then, his second highest win total was as a member of the Red Sox when he got 11, I believe. So I actually do think that this is going to be the only guy in the rotation that gets over 12. I'm going to... Uh... I'm going to agree with Charlie. I, I think Evaldi is the only guy... Nick Pavetta could do it. He won nine games in 2021. 
He had a 4.53 ERA, but still managed a 2.6 WAR. That's kind of that's weird to me. Um, he didn't he didn't have a ton of strikeout. Oh wait, my bad. Oh well, he did have a, a 10.2 strikeout per nine. So I guess maybe that does make a little bit of sense. But nine is the most Pavetta's ever had in his career. Michael Waka has only exceeded 12 once. That was in 2015 which was probably the best season of his career. He was 17 and seven that season with a 3.38 ERA pitched 180 innings and uh, not a ton of strikeouts, but still a good year. His second best year was actually 12 wins. That was 2017. He hasn't pitched very well in a long time. His he's had an okay spring so far, but nothing that is going to make me put him over the, the 12 and a half threshold. And I simply don't think there's going to be enough time for, for, or enough starts rather for Chris sale or James Paxton to, to get over that number as well. I hope I'm wrong. Rich Hill could surprise us, but I, I still don't have him exceeding it either. So, so I'm, I'm going to say Evoldi's the only one. Yeah, and, and I believe me, like we're all talking about this about over and under and stuff. We want to be wrong, but it's just like what we think is actually going to happen. So, with that being said, next question: JD Martinez will find his old self and hit above two ninety five and a half, hit thirty and a half home runs, hit one hundred point five RBIs. Absolutely, it's a contract year for him. Over by a significant amount. I think he probably hits. 300 i think that's probably right but i would imagine 34 to 35 home runs and 110 to 120 rbis he's in the middle of an absolutely stacked red Sox lineup and he's going to play every day they, they've talked about him even potentially playing some outfield now there's 30 teams that are going to be shopping for jd martinez like players next year he is going to get paid in all caps this is uh, absolutely going to be a resurgent J.D. Martinez. I'm going to take the over as well. I don't like the fact that his numbers kind of dropped in the games that he played the field last year. But like Job said, this is a contract year. He actually led the Red Sox last season in doubles with 42, which kind of surprised me when I saw that stat. But he was still pretty stout, though, just under the 30 mark in home runs with 28 last year and literally 99 runs batted in. So just missed the 100 mark there. So he only needs to be a little bit better in 2022 to exceed those thresholds. So I'll take the over on that one. So I'm actually going to go under with J.D. Martinez. This is someone who's going to be 35 years old. I, I just don't I just don't see it for him. I, I think that he'll get one of those three categories. Uh, I think he's going to hit 100 RBIs with this lineup. I find it really difficult to believe that he can't. And I think that there's a chance that he could get one more of those two. Since 2018, we've seen the home run, RBI, and batting average numbers all drop. Steadily, but still a drop. I don't know if we're going to see... 30 home runs and a 295 batting average. I think he could hit 31, maybe 32, but I think 290, 293 in that range is probably going to be as high as it goes for him. 
He's not going to be legging out infield singles. He's going to have to pray that he gets wall ball doubles and bombs. Otherwise, I mean, those those long rips, it's going to be a pipe dream for him. That's just me. Again, on that one, I hope I'm wrong because it would be really cool to see him do some really great work and see what happens for the Red Sox this year. Next question. Nick Pavetta will get 10.5 wins and 178.5 strikeouts in 2022. Under, but I think it's the strikeouts. The wins, I think, is probably about right. I just don't know that he'll pitch enough innings to get all those strikeout numbers. Probably closer to 140, 150 strikeouts, if I had to guess. I also... I think the wins are about right as well, like Job said. Um, pulling up his numbers right now. So I'm actually a little surprised. I'm just seeing this for the first time right now. 175 strikeouts in 2021. So you know what? He he only has to be a little bit better than that, like in the last scenario with JD. So I'll actually take the over. And it might be more because I'm rooting for it. I, I think it's within reach. And... I think he can possibly get to 11 wins and he looked good today. He looked good today. And if the last couple of months of September through the last couple of months of September, last couple of weeks of September, all these numbers are starting to fry my brain. Um, you know, so basically the, the last month of play between September and, and the, the run we had in the, in the playoffs, he, he was striking guys out, and that's kind of carried over to spring training. So I'm, I'm just going to hope that they found something. And like I said, he only needs to be a little bit better than 2021. He was completely lost July, August, and then the first half of September. So... Put me down for the over. I'm going over. Uh, I think Pavetta. This is this is prime time. He just turned 29 years old. He's in he's in a prove it time of his career. This is someone. This is not just the what I hope. This is the fan in me too. Injuries aren't an issue with for Nick Pavetta. This is a guy that can go the distance. It's just the level of consistency. I think that he's going to have plenty left in the tank. I think he can get 11 wins. I don't know if he can get more than than 12. I, I think that's going to be a little bit far fetched a little bit of a stretch only because we've seen him hit an ERA of 2.8, 2.9 the following month followed up with a 4.5, 4.6 big difference there. Games can be lost with that, but this is also the guy This is also the only pitcher who took the Tampa Bay Rays through almost seven innings and no hit them. And the only reason why he came out was because of pitch count. He threw six and two thirds against the Tampa Bay Rays who are in my opinion, one of the most, you cannot sleep on me teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, they're that good. And um, I, I think he can exceed the 178. I think he can do more. He's consist- He's shown on more than one occasion that he can get over 10 strikeouts per nine. It wouldn't be far-fetched to see him crack both. If he's healthy and he hits the, uh, the 30 games pitched mark, I definitely believe that he'll get 10, 11 wins, and I definitely believe he'll get 175, 180 strikeouts. Put me on the over for both. Terry, you had something to say? Yeah, just one final thing came to mind. Unlike Nathan Avaldi, unlike Rich Hill, and unlike Sale and 
um, Paxton this year. Pavetta's the one guy I have no doubt can pitch every fifth day. It's just whether it's going to be a quality start or not. So I think, unlike all the other guys, I think health is on his side, and, and that can can help carry him above that threshold for the over as well. So just wanted to make that one last point. Yeah. So here we go with our final question of the night. Um, Sawman, Hirokazu Sawamura, over under 4.5 walks per nine innings. Well, I'm glad you guys let me lead off for every single one of these. This is the only question that I actually came up with. <laughs> and it's based on Alex Cora's comments today, Sunday, April 3rd. And it's because of the rain delay today in Atlanta. We were able to watch his entire press conference in full this morning. Cyber was fantastic last season when guys were chasing the splitter. He had a very high strikeout rate. He was effective. The one problem that Cyber had last season was walks per nine. When guys weren't chasing his sinker, cutter, whatever you want to call his nasty pitch that just dies. It's more of a splitter. Splitter. There we go. We'll go with we'll go with the splitter. When they're not chasing his splitter, he was walking 5.4 batters per nine. And that's one of the things that really made it hard for him to be reliable in high leverage situations. Guys who are doing their research, who see him a lot, weren't chasing that pitch. Yes, he was averaging like 46% swing and miss rate on that pitch. But if they're not swinging and missing... They simply weren't swinging. They were walking to first base. Uh, I'm going to go with under. I think if he can throw that splitter for a strike instead of only using it as a East pitch, he might dominate the American League East. I'm going to go with under. I think he also has a shot at leading the Red Sox reliever strikeouts. I'll probably take the over as well. He did have a nice outing today in which he got – three quick contact outs. It was a one, two, three inning. If he can kind of reinvent himself and kind of pitch to soft contact like that, you could see him end up in the under, but I don't have a ton of confidence in him. And I think he could be one of the first men out of the bullpen. If a guy like uh, Anthony Bizzardo or Darwin's in gets called back up, if he gets his command back, uh, Josh Taylor as well. I and I, I know some of those guys are lefties, but I think we're we're just going to want as many quality arms in the pen as as we can. And I, I just don't have a ton of confidence that Sawman is going to be able to um, pitch with good command and find ways to get outs. So I'll, I'll take the over as well. Yeah, it's going to be over for me. Um... His spring training numbers, like I just, every pitcher has a good game every once in a while. And this is someone who is getting rocked. Just overall an ugly spring this year. Again, just not proving that he can get the job down to under five. And he's had four strikeouts. He's had, I think, three walks. It's just... 
it's not pretty. And that's, that's the thing. I, I just don't know if I can trust them. Terry brought up some great points. Like Darwin's and Hernandez was the guy who we wanted to close out games in Boston last year. That was the guy who we wanted. And all of us agreed that it was probably going to be Matt Barnes job to lose, which we were all right. And Darwin's and Hernandez could not get the control thing down as filthy as that splitter is. If they know that you're throwing it and they know it's going to be out of the zone, no one's swinging at it. So you do have to completely revolutionize yourself or at least, gee, I don't know, mix it up, throw some splitters over the dish and some out because otherwise they see that pitcher, they think splitter, they're not going to swing. So I'm, I'm going to take the over on four and a half. I think it's probably close to like four, six, four, eight, um, a little bit better than last year. Joe. I just want to point out that yes, they know what he's throwing now. But this is now his second year in the major leagues. People forget that he was a pitcher in Japan for a long time. Zone's a little bit different. Umpires call things a little bit different. Hitters try to hit things very differently. Like the one big difference between Japan and the major leagues is the contact rate. Hitters in Japan aren't necessarily hitting the ball 500 feet. When they do hit it, they're not swinging from their shoes the way that some guys do here. If he can get that ball over for a strike, especially if he can mix it up and, and get it over for a strike and then use his 94 to 95 mile an hour two-seam and four-seam fastballs up in the zone, I really think he could be dominant. I, I am very high on Sawyer this year. We've had a lot of luck, as I've pointed out, with relief pitching from the Asian markets. So I, we were kind of hoping to kind of rekindle that magic with Sawamura. So I hope it happens. I, I like him a lot, but just a really frustrating uh, second half last year once the, the splitter was no longer effective. And the frustrating thing, too, was Alex Cora would still go to him in high leverage. And with even runners on base, I'm like, what are you doing, Alex? And, and the bullpen was a mess anyway, so it's not like we had a ton of great options, but I, I never thought, oh, yeah, go get Sawman for this spot. You know, it would have to be a clean inning, and even that wasn't going well. Uh, if he can limit the walks, increase the strikeouts just a little bit, you know, get that splitter over the plate, I think he can be your seventh inning guy every night. Like, let's go get Sawman. Uh, I don't think he can be a closer. He doesn't necessarily have that third pitch that I think you need to get guys out, a pitch that he can throw in the zone. But I, I really think he could be a very dependable arm for the Sox if he can get the walks down. So let's hope that that's the case. Um, because if Sawman all of a sudden can you know, become a reliable guy where you can go to him four or five nights a week to get outs, all of a sudden your bullpen looks a lot stronger. Here's the bad news. Um, most of our pen is is not is not pitching well at all. Well, uh, I mean that's the the weakness of this team, right? We we knew this going in. I don't expect it to be necessarily that good all season. We do have a lot of left-handed arms out there. Sorry, Moore is one of I think three right-handed arms in the pen. So you're gonna have some. Some scenario, I think, where he's going to get some leverage spots. 
Yeah, Matt Barnes right now, four and a half ERA in spring training uh, and four appearances. His his velo is uh, low right now. It's in the low 90s. He's typically 97 to 99, something like that. Sometimes he hits 100. Ryan Brazier, 16, uh, an ERA just under 17. Again, that's only three appearances. One of our big signings this winter, Jake Diekman, 17.18 ERA. Just can't find it. He's got a ton of walks, too. Uh, six or seven at least. And so it's just, I, I hope they pull it together somehow. And, uh, but the bullpen's definitely looking like a weakness. And I, I was expecting a lot better about it, especially once we signed uh Robles as well. Did his, did his contract get selected or whatever? Do we know this? Uh, I'm not sure what you're referring to about his contract. He, I know he's expected to make the roster. Yeah, well, that's essentially what I meant. He uh, signed a minor league deal, so I don't know if they actually... Um, he is expected, at least according to reports coming out today, to make the opening day roster for 28, if he can ramp up fast enough. If there's a setback, which of course is a possibility, he's only been in camp for like four days, then uh, somebody else will get that call. Okay. All right. I mean, I think, yeah, just to kind of finish up one of those points that we're talking about, I think this is what we're talking about. I mean, we're seeing Deekman get cracked. We're seeing Sawman struggle a little bit, and and we're we, we are struggling. You know, the the Red Sox just got, uh, oh God, I forget his first name. Um, is it Mike Holland? Derek just Holland. Just a minor league. Derek Holland. Derek Holland, that's right. Yeah, Derek Holland just signed a minor league deal. But, I mean, <sighs> Garrett Whitlock out of that bullpen would spell disaster because it's like, oh, we got to go to the bullpen. And teams would just go, oh, thank God. Because there's there's no lockdown guy right now until they can, until they can figure it out, at least consistently. Yeah. And they really need one more high-leverage guy. And if they can get mm-hmm. one more high leverage guy, preferably a high leverage guy that's a lefty, we've got a lot of uh, mid level or clean up lefties, as I like to call them. We don't have a high leverage lefty that I trust at the moment. All the guys that I would go to in high leverage situations, Hansel Robles, for example, is a guy that kind of earned his way into those situations in, in late season last year. Matt Barnes is going to be the closer, whether we like it or not, to start the season. And Whitlock is the only reliable option out there, I think, night in and night out are all right-handed. And we've got the rest of that bullpen is left-handed, and they're only okay. Actually, maybe one bright spot, I I only now just thought of it, but Matt Strom has not given up a run in three appearances, so he's a lefty. So maybe uh, maybe he's a guy we'll rely on as a kind of a sneaky high bloom move, but... But all right, we'll uh, wrap on that. Maybe we'll try to find one more excuse to come on before opening day. And then next week, like I said, we'll be back into our regular season rotations. It'll still be four shows a week like last season. And uh, the grind will begin and hopefully we'll be uh, we'll be pleasantly surprised. This month of April is going to be hell with the 
schedule we have. There's a lot of Toronto. There's some New York. There's some Detroit in there. Uh, some Tampa. A lot of tough teams. So this uh, this could be one of those prove it months right out of the gates, and uh, could could have a lot to say over whether we uh, make it into October or we don't. So everyone have a good start to your week. Take care.